0: Well, good morning, and again, welcome to Warden. Whether you're joining us in person or online, we're so glad you chose to be with us today. Before I begin, I just want to pause for a moment. I want to pray. Our Pastor Orlando, a number of our youth, and many of our young adults um, are going to youth camp this week, and. We just need to really pray that God will do great things in their lives and that he'll protect them and help them as they go. Um, Also, I'm sure, like me, many of you are still grieving the loss of our dear Pastor Warner. I look around, and sometimes I think he's just going to walk in, and I know some of you have said the same to me. So let's continue to pray for our church, pray for Gabby and the family um, as we As we begin the service this morning, let's just pray. God, we come to you. We recognize our great need for you. We need you to help us. We need you to guide us and direct us, to give us wisdom. We need your presence in our lives. And God, I just pray for... um, Pastor Orlando, the young adults that are going to be helping at camp, the youth that are going to camp this week, God, I pray that you would do great things in their lives, that, Lord, you would touch them, that you would heal those that need healing, that you will deliver those who need deliverance, and that you would just speak into the hearts and the lives of every youth that is there, God. For the workers as well, I pray that you would help them, give them wisdom lord protect all of them keep them safe and healthy for the speakers god for for the worship team lord i pray that you would just um that your presence would just be so real in that place this week and that they would come back changed by you lord again we we just lift up our church to you and ask that you would just guide the board help them god help all of us who are still Um, grieving, God, to to just find our comfort and our peace and all that we need in you. Be with Gabby, be with the entire family, Lord, and and just continue to strengthen them. God, now we look to you as we look into your word. God, speak to us today. Help us to be changed by your word. Give us open hearts. Help me, Lord, as I speak. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Well, I'd like to begin by telling you a story about this rather legalistic seminary student who wanted to have a scriptural basis for everything he did. He felt like he was on solid ground if he could quote the Bible, book, chapter, and verse for anything he did for his actions. So he did all right until he began to fall in love with this beautiful girl in his class. He wanted very much to kiss her, but he couldn't find a scripture to okay it. So, true to his conscience, he would simply walk her to her dormitory each night, look at her longingly, and say goodnight. This went on for several weeks. All the time he was searching the Bible, trying to find a scripture to okay him kissing her good night. But one evening, as he walked her to the dormitory and once again started to bid her goodnight, she grabbed him, pulled him towards her, and planted a 10-second kiss right on his lips. At the end of the kiss, the seminary student, he gasped for air, and he stammered, Bible verse, I need a Bible verse. And the girl grabbed him a second time, and just before kissing him, she said, Do to others as you would have them do to you. (laughs) Okay, now that's probably not the best application of that scripture verse, but it's pretty creative, don't you think? Today we're continuing in our series, Astonishing Words, and we're looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 12. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it'll be on the screens for you to follow along. Again, Matthew 7, 7 to 12. It says, Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask it? So in everything. Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, before we get into this passage, I just want to remind you of what we've talked about so far. We started off our series talking about how Jesus said, Do not worry. And we looked at reasons why we shouldn't worry and then how to stop worrying. Last week, we talked about how Jesus said, Do not judge. And we talked about how we need to be helpful and not judgmental. There's such a diverse range of topics in the Sermon on the Mount, but there's one common element to just about everything Jesus said, and that's that it's really tough to do, it's hard to do it. For you who've been hearing these messages, you've probably thought that it's humanly impossible to keep these commandments and the teachings of Jesus. And I think that's exactly what Jesus wants you to conclude. Jesus has made tremendous demands on us, and he set very high standards. And now as he comes to the end of his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he summarizes all that he's been saying in Matthew seven twelve. Would you read it together with me? Matthew 7, 12. It's on the screen. Go. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Let's try that one more time. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Astonishing, isn't it? Wow. You know, this is the most universally famous thing Jesus ever said. And it's known as the golden rule. I always thought it was the golden rule because it was so valuable and so important. But in studying, I learned that the reason it's called the golden rule is because the Roman emperor, Alexander Servius, had Jesus' words written in gold on the walls of public buildings. And that's why it's become known as the golden rule. In his commentary on Matthew 1-7, to John MacArthur, Jr. writes, Every other form of this basic principle has been given in purely negative terms and is found in the literature of almost every major religion and philosophical system. The Jewish rabbi Eliel said, What is hateful to yourself, do not do to someone else. The book of Tolbit in the Apocrypha teaches what thou thyself hatest to no man do. Confucius taught what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. An ancient Greek king named Nicholas wrote, do not do to others the things which make you angry when you experience them at the hand of other people. The Greek philosopher Apectus said, what you avoid suffering yourself, do not afflict on others. The Stoics taught what you do not wish to be done to you, do not do to anyone else. Socrates said, What stirs your anger when done to you by others... That do not do to others. See, in every case here, the emphasis is negative. Well, Jesus was the first one to formulate the rule positively. The negative says, "I won't do any harm," which is the world's philosophy. The natural way would be to say, "Because I don't kill or rob or deliberately hurt others, then I'm okay." But Jesus calls us to something higher. We're we're called to, to say, not only will I not do anyone harm, but I will go out of my way to help them. It's not enough to not harm others. We are to help make things better. For example, it's not enough that we not steal. We must give generously. It's not enough that we don't harm our neighbors. We must help them. It's not enough that we don't break up marriages. We must help put them back together. If we understand these words properly, we would know that these are the most challenging words ever spoken. And the golden rule, it's not something that we can accomplish on our own. Even though we've committed our lives to Jesus, our sin nature still lives within us. And even if we have the desire to do the golden rule, we don't have the ability to carry it out on our own. Now, Paul admits this in Romans 7.18. He says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. See, in his flesh, Paul wasn't able to do what he wanted to do, including trying to live up to the golden rule. In our own flesh, we are by nature selfish people. Jesus knows that we're self-centered, self-protective, and concerned about ourselves. And he challenges us to love others like we love ourselves. But how do we do that? How do we even begin to live like this? Well, that's exactly what Jesus wants us to ask. He wants us to see our utter helplessness and our deep need and turn to God for help. This sermon was designed to crush all our confidence in our human flesh so that we cast ourselves completely on the grace of God, realizing that we can't do it on our own natural strength. We need supernatural strength and power to live a supernatural life. So how do we begin to live like this? Well, Jesus offers practical help in how we can rise to the challenge. And in this passage, he tells us how we can get that supernatural power that we need. And the first thing we need to do is reach out to God for help. There's a story about a little fellow who was, he had been sent to his room because he did something bad. Well, a short time later, he came out and he said to his mother, I was thinking about what I did and I said a prayer. That's fine, she said. If you ask God to help you be good, then he will help you. Oh, I didn't ask him to help me be good, he replied. I asked him to help you put up with me. (laughs) Verses 7 and 8 say ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Here Jesus begins to talk to his disciples about prayer. See, prayer is the means of appropriating God's power in our lives. Prayer is looking outside of ourselves and seeking help from above. Prayer is a genuine cry from a soul in need, a soul that recognizes that God must work or nothing will. Now, when we were in Newfoundland a few weeks ago, we went to visit our good friends, Heather and Jim Fifield. Some of you know them. They were actually here last week, and now they're back home in Newfoundland again. But, well, when we saw them, our little granddaughter, June, she looked at Heather, and the first thing she said was, Do you have a present for me? (laughs) Well, we all laughed, and, and her mom was just a little embarrassed, you know. We, we teach children it's not polite to ask things of other people, and it's right that we teach our kids that. However, when it comes to God as our Father, we need to be more like June. We need to boldly go and ask him, do you have a gift for me? Because here, Jesus, he's giving us permission to ask. He's telling us the gifts are available to all of us. All we have to do is ask for them, seek them, and knock on the door to enter into them. Now the Greek verbs ask, seek, and knock here are here in the present imperative tense. They literally mean keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. We're to continually ask God for the strength and the power and the grace to live out the Christian life. At no time have we arrived. I know I have certainly not arrived. So there must be continued prayer and continued dependence. If we really want to be the men and women of God that he would want us to be, if we really want to know him and live the way he asked us to, we need to continue Continually ask him day by day for the strength that we need we should be like the three-year-old boy who went to the grocery store with his mother before they entered the grocery store she said to him now you're not gonna get any chocolate chip cookies so don't even ask she put him in the cart, and he sat in the little child seat while she wheeled down the aisles he was doing just fine until they came to the cookie section He saw the chocolate chip cookies, and he stood up in the seat, and he said, Mom, can I have some chocolate chip cookies? She said, I told you not even to ask. You're not going to get any, so sit down. So he sat back down. They continued back down the aisles, but in their search for certain items, they ended up back in the cookie aisle. He said, Mom, can I please have some chocolate chip cookies? And she said, I told you you can't have any. Now sit down and be quiet. Finally, they were approaching the checkout lane. The little boy sensed that this may be his last chance. So just before he got to the line, he stood up in his cart seat and he shouted in his loudest voice, In the name of Jesus, may I please have some chocolate chip cookies? Everybody around just laughed, some even applauded. Due to the generosity of the other shoppers, that little boy and his mother left with 26 boxes of chocolate chip cookies that day. (laughs) That's how we ought to pray. That's the persistence that Jesus is talking about here. Keep on asking. Keep on knocking. We need to be persistent and never give up in going to God for the help that we need. Verse 8 says, For everyone who asks receives, to the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be open. Did you notice it says, for everyone? This promise is for every one of Christ's followers. This promise is not just for the privileged few, but it's for anyone who names the name of Jesus. And that includes you. True prayer, you see, is based on a trusting relationship with God who's looking out for the good of his people. There's no hope in any other kind of prayer. The Lord's Prayer earlier that was read earlier in the the Sermon on the Mount, that prayer is directed towards God our Father. And we have a Heavenly Father who loves us beyond human understanding, and He wants us to come to Him. Which brings me to the second point. To live in a supernatural way, we need to be able to relate to God as Father. Jesus said in verse 9, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Here Jesus uses the illustration of a father and a son to depict every Christian's relation to his heavenly Father. Jesus points out that if a child wants bread, a parent's not going to give him a stone. If a child wants a fish, the parent won't give him a snake. In modern terms, we could say it this way. If a child wants a juice box... You're not going to give him a quart of motor oil to drink. Or if a child wants chicken nuggets, you won't give them tied laundry pods to eat. Like, that would hurt them, right? And as parents and grandparents, as responsible human beings, we care for those that are dependent upon us. We want to help them. We don't want to hurt them or harm them. We take joy even in helping them and providing for them. And just as we enjoy and take delight in our role of providing for those we love, God loves that role even so much more. And he is so much better at it than we are. Jesus says, if you then, who are evil, do this, that is, you who possess a sinful nature, how much more will God provide for us and bless us with the things that we need and that we ask? You know, he's perfectly holy, perfectly generous, perfectly loving, perfectly providing, perfectly righteous, and perfectly wise. And God will surely give good gifts to his children if we ask, seek, and knock. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, sure, but I've asked and the father didn't seem to answer. What about that? Well, that's a good, good question. It's basically the question, what about the father's no? Well, verse 11 really helps us out here. It says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him verse 11 tells us that the father will give what to those who ask what is it he says he's going to give good things you know no amount of asking can coerce a good father to give bad things to his children do good fathers say yes to every request of their children If you do, I hope you have good insurance. I mean all the insurances, health, house, car, life, all of them, because your children are going to be in the hospital. Your house is probably going to be on fire. Your car might explode, and at some point, you might even die at the hands of a knife-wielding toddler. (laughs) Think about it. Would a good father honor the request of his darling 3-year-old daughter when she asked to play with the hairdryer in the bathtub? I don't think so. Obviously good fathers say no and they say no often. Why? Because they're wiser than their kids are. They have a better perspective on reality or and at least should have a better measure of what will actually serve or harm their children. So the question that we need to answer is who is wiser? You or God? Who has a better perspective on things? You or God? Who's able to choose better means to serve the best possible ends to your life, you or God? It's obvious, right? The answer, it's God. God says no to his children because he loves them, not because he doesn't. And James gives us good insight in James 4, 2 to 3 when he says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You know, we can't just ask for anything like, oh, I want a new sports car or a big house or a vacation in Mexico and think that he's just automatically going to give it to us. That would be taking this verse out of context. Now, sometimes God gives us good things like that, yes, but we can't think that that's what that verse means. Anything we ask for, he will give. And to further clarify, good gifts Jesus is referring to in this passage refer to the gifts of power, strength, and the grace to live the Christian life. In Luke eleven thirteen, 13, we read a similar passage where Jesus said, "'If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children,' How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, Jesus is talking about giving us the supernatural power, strength, and grace to live the Christian life. One of my favorite songs that we sing here at Warden is called Good, Good Father. It just resonates in my soul. Pat Barnett, the writer, said, What I love about this song is what he says about our Heavenly Father. Yes, we've all heard a thousand stories about what people think he's like. But what we're finding out for ourselves is that he's not a mad, mad dad. He's a good, good father, and he's perfect in all of his ways to us. You know, some of you may have grown up without a father or with a father that was abusive or absent. I want you to know God is not like that. He is a good, good father. 1 John three one says... See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God. Tim Keller says that John here is asking, from what planet or what world does this kind of love come from? It's unlike anything we've ever seen, unlike anything we could compare it to. It's not from our world. It's not like any human could love and give. It's otherworldly completely set apart and this is the kind of love that the father has lavished on us that we would be called children of god see god loves you and me with this supernatural out of the world kind of love and the knowledge that god loves us that much will give us the supernatural power to do his will we need to understand that in order to live out what he asks us to do we truly need to understand that kind of fatherly love. It's then when we understand what he's really like and how much he truly loves us that we can rise to the challenge, which is my third point. Without the help of God and without proper relationship with our Heavenly Father, the golden rule, it's impossible and it's meaningless. But with God's constant help and his love, we're able to love in a supernatural way. We need to rise to the challenge and make the choice to love others and do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And if we love as Jesus tells us to, I can promise you it's going to transform all of our relationships. J.C. Ryle, the 19th century bishop, once commented, this is the golden rule indeed. It does not merely forbid all petty malice and revenge, all cheating and overreaching. It does much more. It settles a hundred different points, which in a world like this are continually arising between man and man. It prevents the necessity of laying down endless rules for conduct in specific cases. It sweeps the whole debatable ground with one mighty principle. It shows us a of a measure by which everyone may see at once what his is duty. Is there a thing that we would not like our neighbor to do to us? Then let us not do that to our neighbor. And remember, if there is a thing that we would want him to do to us, then let us do that unto them. Then this is the very thing we ought to do. How How many intricate questions could be decided at once if this rule were honestly used? What, What he's saying is just imagine if everyone acted by this rule. There would be no more slavery, no war, no robbery or lying. There would only be justice and love. It would lead to a transformation of society, of marriages, of relationships between parents and children. It would change communities. It would change churches. That kind of love, my friends, is only possible as God pours out his love on us. You see, we love because he first loved us. And as we go to God for the help that we need and we experience his love, our Heavenly Father will empower us through his love to love others. If the church lived like that, I truly believe that the world would believe. I'm going to end with this story. One of Grimm's fairy tales tells of an old man who lived with his son, the son's wife and the young couple's four-year-old boy. The old man's eyes blinked and his hands shook. When he ate, the silver well rattled against the plate and he often missed his mouth. Then the food would dribble onto the tablecloth. This upset the young mother because she didn't want to have to deal with the extra mess and the hassle of taking care of the old man. But he had nowhere else to live, so the young parents decided to move him away from the table into a corner where he could sit on a stool and eat from a bowl. And so he did, always looking at the table and wanting to be with his family, but having to sit alone in the corner. One day, his hands trembled more than usual. He dropped his bowl and broke it. If you are a pig, they said, then you must eat out of a trough. So they made the old man a wooden trough to put his meals in. Not long after that, the couple came upon their four-year-old son playing with some scraps of wood. His father asked him what he was doing, and the little boy looked up and smiled and said, I'm making a trough to feed you a mama out of when I get big. Well, the next day, the old man was back at the table, eating with the family from a plate, and no one ever scolded him or mistreated him again. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do unto you. Now, if you are here today and you are struggling to live the Christian life, you feel like you have no power to resist temptation or to love people, you need to ask God for the help that you need to live a life in a supernatural way. Or maybe you need a fresh revelation of the love of your Heavenly Father. He is good and he wants to help you. You are his beloved child, so draw close to him today. Ask seek and knock and i promise you he will answer because he loves you and maybe you're here today and you're listening or you're listening online and you do not know jesus as your personal savior my question for you is do you want to have a personal relationship with god because he wants to have a personal relationship with you John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's how much he loves you. Jesus died a cruel death on the cross to take the punishment for your sin and mine. My prayer is that you will put your trust in him today to save you. Admit that you're a sinner. Ask him to forgive you and to come into your life, and you too will be a child of God. And it is the best decision you could ever make. And if you do make that decision, please let me know so that we as a church can love on you and journey with you and rejoice with you. Um, we're just going to close in prayer, so let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. God, we come to you again today, and we just thank you that you love us, that you want us to pray, that you want us to ask, that you want us to seek, and you want us to knock, God. And you promised that you would be there to answer and help us, Lord. So, God, give us the strength that we need to be more like you, to love others, and to do unto others as we would have them do unto us, God. We we can't do that. It's humanly impossible, but with your strength, Lord, I believe you can help us to, to move forward and, and to become even closer in our walk with you, to be able to do that more and more. God, as a church, Lord, help us to, to love one another and to to just reach out to one another and to be there for one another. God, I just pray for those who are hurting today, those who are sick, those who are in need. I pray that you would minister to them in a very special way as well. God, we love you and thank you and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to worship God together one more time.